Hey everyone, welcome to the Revive West Des Moines podcast. I'm Jamie Richards, the Young Adult Minister at Hope West Des Moines. What you are about to hear is the live recording from Revive West Des Moines this past week. We hope you can connect with God and the good life that God has for you through what you hear in this message. Check it out. Another cold brew? Don't mind if I cold do. Nailed it. I am loving this machine that Charles brought in. It is nice. The trick is to let the coffee warm up the room temperature. I'm already on my second cup. This is my third. Stop! You're drinking too much! Whoa, what's going on? Charles, why are you talking so slow? I'm not! I'm normal! We're all normal! Oh my god, if you're not going slow, that means we're going fast. Are we going fast? Can anyone tell if we're going fast? I don't think we're going fast at all in any way whatsoever. I feel like we're going slow in every way whatsoever. Captain, how do you feel? Great, excellent, amazing. I feel better than I've ever felt in a moment in my entire life. So we're all fine. Yep. 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 Hello, everybody. How many of you are Brooklyn Nine-Nine fans? Yeah. It is one of the only shows that actually gets me to chuckle out loud if I'm watching alone by myself. It's really uh, just a funny, funny show. Hello, everyone, um, and welcome to Revive. My name is Jamie, and I am the Revive Young Adult Minister here at Hope's West Des Moines campus. And I love uh, cold brew. I love coffee. So I chuckle when that clip, every time I watch this show and that clip comes up uh, because it makes me laugh. But also uh, because my life is often lived at a pretty fast pace. I don't know about you, but there are seasons in my life, particularly lately, where I just, <laughs> I realize that I am living as if I've consumed a ton of cold brew just all of the time, and I'm just speeding right through life. Everyone else maybe feels to me as if their pace of life is normal, and I'm just like blitzing through. And so I just want to stop and ask all of you as we begin the message portion of Revive tonight, how has your pace of life especially been lately? I know maybe for so many of us, life was paced differently before COVID. When COVID hit two years ago this week, this is the two-year anniversary of Revive just going online. Um, So the memory on Facebook popped up of our last Revive in person, and the caption was something kind of like, we don't really know what's happening in the world, but we're praying for all of you. And (laughs) we just had no idea. We had no idea what was coming. Uh, And now here we are, two years later on this weird anniversary. So COVID has changed. Yeah, woohoo. I feel so grateful to be here with all of you. Man, it was so wild. Yeah, you can praise God for that. Gosh. When we, well, I will just take a little tangent since that moment just happened, clapping for Revive, coming back in person. Man, it was so bizarre to do Revive online only and to go from having a room full of young adults on Thursday nights to being in a room with myself and our production person and maybe one other person trying to film Revive and stream Revive online. Like I walked in circles uh, that first night after Revive was online because there was no one to talk to. Like I didn't know what to do with myself the moment that Revive went online because Revive is people, Revive is community and I didn't know how to do online ministry and no one really liked Zoom so we tried Zoom Hangouts and that was kind of bust. But And then when we slowly started coming back in person and having like socially distanced everything um, and masks and all of that, like where I just am so thankful for where we are at today. Um, And I'm just so thankful that all of you are here. So thank you. um, As Kelsey said, thank you for making the choice to be here, especially as a young adult on like 
If there was a young adult holiday, St. Patrick's Day would be kind of one of the young adult holidays. And you are in church. Like, that is phenomenal. That's like a miracle, I I think. And so anyway, (laughs) I just want to say thank you so much again for being here. Uh, It really means so much to our Revive crew every single week when people actually show up. Like every week we throw a party and we don't know if people are going to come. And here you are and you're here on a holiday. Um, And I'm just so thankful that you're here. And now that I've said that 15 times, I'll continue. But I invite you to just consider how is your pace of life? For me, COVID changed things. It really stopped other things. But then there were all of the constant pivots that were happening, especially when leading a ministry that's like, oh, we'll make this change. And then two seconds after we make some change and finally decide on it, the world changes again. And so there was all this constant movement where it felt like for a lot of the, the team around Hope, we were working constantly, working to to keep up with things. And so the pace of life just felt really wonky, Um, really, really strange. And now that's kind of changed a little bit as the world has um, settled in some other ways and kicked up in some other ways. And so we're gonna be looking at pace tonight and rhythm and speed as we continue in our series called Relentless Hope, God's Renewal and Unrelenting Noise. Uh, We're in this season of Lent, which is the 40-day journey leading up to Easter. And uh, and I really want us to really think tonight about this sub heading for this series, God's Renewal and Unrelenting Noise. We planned this series before Russia invaded, or Putin invaded Ukraine. Um, And it feels like, man, in a world where the 24-hour news cycle had something yet again to really spend a lot of time on, really important stuff, but there is unrelenting noise in our world. There's unrelenting noise in our lives. And I don't know about you, but I am in desperate need of God's renewal in this season. I'm always desperate for God's renewal because that's always good, but particularly in this season right now. Renewal is really important because it makes us new again. We find the newness that God has for us, especially if we feel stuck or like things get stale. And so God's renewal is just really, really important. So tonight, especially we're gonna be uh, talking about busyness, or at least we're gonna start by talking about busyness. Um, And so I'll just start with, before we even get into this list that you see on the screen, so often when we ask somebody, how are you doing? They reply with, fine, I'm just... Busy, say it like you know. <laughs> Fine, I'm just busy. So often that's just our, our normal mode of being. And why are we so busy? Well, for some of us, we've just packed too many things in. We've packed so many things in because maybe they sounded fun or because we have responsibilities or we felt like we had to do things. Maybe we have a hard time saying no. Some of us say yes to a lot of things because we're afraid to be lonely. Just like the idea of sitting at home with nothing to do has an ache to it or a twinge of like, yeah, that sounds uncomfortable or like, nah, that's like not what I'm feeling for myself right now. So afraid to be lonely. So we say yes to so many different things or maybe everything just sounds awesome. Like I'll just say yes to everything because that sounds fun and that sounds fun and that sounds fun. Um, Sometimes we're so busy because we have trouble with time trouble with time management and prioritizing, or a fear of somehow being behind, behind in life, behind in career, behind in hobbies, behind in social groups, behind in relationships, behind in all sorts of different ways, or we just have FOMO. We've got some fear of missing out. And there's all sorts of other reasons as well, but these are just the first ones that kind of struck me when I was thinking about busyness and how and why we are so, so busy. 
And as we talk tonight about the pace of our lives and the busyness that so often we find ourselves in, uh, I think it's really important to talk about what our busyness and our pace of life is doing to us. Our pace of life is contributing to our rates of anxiety on a national level, to our rates of depression. Um, Sometimes we just have trouble with boundaries and the speed of our life doesn't help us figure out those boundaries. It's doing, uh, it's impacting our spiritual lives where we don't have time to pray or I don't have time to read the Bible. I just, I'm so busy. I'll do it tomorrow or I'll do it next week or I'll do it this weekend or I'll go to to church next weekend, but I don't have time this weekend, whatever. Some of us have trouble sleeping because of the pace of life where we have health issues or we have burnout. And these aren't just Jamie things. These are things that research shows that our mental, emotional, spiritual, physical bodies are impacted by our schedules And I think so much of this comes down to fear and to to the fear of what might happen if we would just stop. Just pause. If we just have a Friday night at home, hanging out with our bad selves. A couple years ago, I decided to try eradicating fear from my life. And let me tell you, when you start overturning stones looking for fear in in your life, you find it in a lot more places than you expected, which is a very humbling experience. I find fear in my life when I'm uncovering my schedule. I find fear in my life when I'm thinking about job. I find fear in my life when I think about my future. I think I, there's all of these areas where if we unturn these stones, for, and I'm not just talking about myself, I'm talking about conversations with young adults as, my, as a part of my role here as the Revive Young Adult Minister. I'm talking about fear that I uncover in, in, uh, in conversations with family members, with friends, with older adults around our congregation. You can hear it when you, when you start to look for how fear shows up in, in uh, conversations, you can start to spot it a lot more than you ever have been able to before. And it is, it is fascinating. It's kind of scary. Um, but our fear, especially when it comes to our schedule, is just really crippling us. And one of the things that I think is super interesting when, when we look at the reasons why we cram our schedules, what it's doing to us. Uh, it's interesting to just look at the history of how busyness came to be. Did you know that actually, uh, before the invention of the light bulb, the average adult in the United States slept 11 hours a night? Can you imagine what would happen to your anxiety? <laughs> If you got 11 hours of sleep a night, yes, you can, you can clap for 11 hours of sleep a night. There's a, a pastor who's written a lot about busyness, and I'm going to reference this book a lot and tell you a lot about it tonight. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, which we're going to get into in, in a little bit. But he talks about this, and he says, you know, he's like, I would always like hear of these great spiritual leaders getting up at 4 a.m. to pray and think like, wow, I could never do that. But then he realized like, well, they went to bed at 5 p.m. So of course they can get up at four in the morning to pray. So what a different, what a different thing our lives have been since the light bulb and since electricity. And furthermore, there's, um, as the invention of so-called labor-saving devices came up, uh, 
people back in the 60s particularly thought that our lives now were going to be very different. So there was a Senate subcommittee hearing in the mid-60s where uh, what was pitched to the Senate was because of all these labor-saving devices, by the year 1985, the average American work week is going to be around 27 hours a week. (laughs) Labor-saving devices. (laughs) Where Where are they? But here's the thing. We had labor-saving devices. As humans, what we did is we just figured out more ways to fill our time. If you would increase my life, my day, by 12 hours, would I just be a person of leisure? I would like to think that I would be a person of leisure, a lady of leisure. Uh, that sounded weird. Uh, we'll just take that back. Um, but, or would I just find more time to like do the things? I feel like I would probably just find time or I would find things to do that would just fill that time. And so it's not that time is the problem. There's something else that's the problem. Uh, back in 2013, this is the earliest I can find of this, um, but Psychology Today published an article about something that was called hurry sickness. And hurry sickness is a behavior pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness, an overwhelming and continual sense of urgency, a malaise, there's a $10 word for you, in which a person feels chronically short of time and so tends to perform every task faster and to get flustered when encountering any kind of delay. Ooh, (laughs) does anyone resonate with this? I sure do. So uh, here's a couple signposts for how you can know you are suffering from hurry sickness. You are moving, you find, maybe you find yourself moving from one checkout line to another because it looks shorter or faster. Hmm, I'm already like out, like this has already gotten me out. Counting cars in front of you and changing lanes based on your perceived, like their perceived speed or a red light, like, oh, there's less cars over here, so I'll go over here. I mean, I was on Jordan Creek Parkway today. I was like, this is a perfect illustration. I was on Jordan Creek Parkway coming here, just a couple stoplights up the road, and um, I was just like looking around and had not noticed when the light turned green, and I don't think it had been like five minutes or whatever. Like, I think it had just been a couple seconds, and the car behind me was like, beep. And here's the thing, there's, you know, on Jordan Creek Parkway, there's a lot of lights that just kind of stack up. Um, And so the next white light was still red and it was like, I don't know, it felt like it was 12 feet ahead of me. And so I just like put my, took my foot off the brake and just kind of gently rolled up to the next red light and the car behind me went zoom and then just sat next to me. (laughs) And I was like... Yeah, my mom, uh, both my parents went to Iowa State University, go Cyclones, and my mom used to talk about, because my mom was like a fast walker or whatever, and then one day she was like, why am I doing this? I don't get there any faster. And so she just started slowing down on her walk across campus to class, and she started noticing how the people would like, vroom, speed walk past her, and she's like, I would literally walk into Beardshear Hall right behind them. Like, we would, they would hold the door open for me, and they, it was like so important to them uh, to get so much fast, there so much faster. It also reminds me of recently, I don't know where I read it, so I can't credit the source, um, but there was uh, somebody who'd written about people's Oregon Trail journey west, and there was a crew of people who was really starting to feel the pinch of time, like they weren't gonna make it to their goal before winter hit. And so this party ended up separating. One group of people was still gonna go at their current pace of traveling six days in a row and resting on a day. And then the other crew was just gonna like pedal to the metal, 
you can't have pedal to the metal, but whatever. Um, they were just gonna go pedal to the metal and travel seven days and try to get there ahead. And what happened was, actually, the six-day traveling crew ended up overtaking and, and um, coming up again next to the seven-day crew. And the seven-day crew was sick. The seven-day crew was tired. They were exhausted. And it actually didn't get them to their destination any quicker. And so when I think about um, hurry sickness and counting cars and all that, those are some of the things that I'm like, well, yeah, okay, that... Mm checks out. Um, Another sign of hurry sickness, we multitask to the point of forgetting a task. (laughs) Definitely guilty as charged. I thought this was fascinating. Social psychologist Robert Levine says, in cities with with a highest pace of life, men have the most coronary disease in those cities. So it's not just that this busyness impacts our minds, it also impacts our bodies on a physiological level. And so when we think about this, there's, as if we haven't talked about busyness enough, there's just a couple of other things that I want to show you. And I realized at this point, when I was putting together these slides, all of the graphics that I was using were really like zoomy and I started getting kind of anxious about it. So after this slide, we have no more zoomies <laughs> because like I was getting really anxious just looking at all of this. Um, Ruth Haley Barton, who's one of my absolute favorite authors. She um, is a Christian. She leads a transforming leadership collective. And she writes a ton of really phenomenal things. So highly recommend picking up any of her books. She has um, what she's put together, 10 signs you're moving too quickly. One, irritability, or that you find yourself being on edge a lot. Number two, hypersensitivity, not just like to cold, but a hypersensitivity to anything um, that might offend you, that might get under your skin. Very similar to irritability, but just having this hypersensitive radar to anything that might set you off. Number three, restlessness, meaning when you stop to rest, you can't relax. You still like want to want to check your email all the time. You still want to pick up your phone compulsively and check it, even though you just checked Instagram or TikTok or whatever, Twitter, two seconds ago, you got to check it again. So having this sense of restlessness, like I can't just stop. Four, compulsive overworking. Five, emotional numbness, where you lose capacity, not only for um, the things that you want to try to lose capacity for, but also lose capacity for wonder, for awe, for joy. Brene Brown, who researches about emotion, says you can't selectively numb. Like as much as we would love to selectively numb pain, what researchers have found is when you try to numb, you numb everything. So uh, that's one of the signs you're moving too quickly is emotional numbness um, or trying to numb. Similarly, number six, escapist behaviors, whatever that is for you. For me, it's Mario Kart, like 10,000%. It's Mario Kart. It's Mario. Oh, I put my phone over there. That was good. Uh, It's like Mario Kart on my phone. Like I have Mario Kart in my pocket constantly. Um, Escapist behaviors, TV, socials, gaming, substances, all sorts of things that help us just kind of check out from whatever it is that's stressing us out. Number seven, disconnected from our sense of identity, who we are, from our calling, what God has called us into. Number eight, not attending to human needs like sleep, like exercise, like eating at regular intervals or when we're hungry. Nine, This one is fascinating, hoarding energy. Not doing that thing tomorrow or tonight because I know my social battery is pretty, or my like emotional battery, my spiritual battery, all that is pretty close to depleted. So I'm gonna hoard the little bit that I have. 
Number 10, slippage in spiritual practices. So I don't know about you, but I feel like if we're, if we're on, if I'm honest, I know like I was, <laughs> I could have checked all of the boxes and I could check all these boxes at different periods in my life, especially um, the one that I'm in now. But here's the thing. Uh, Corey Ten Boom, one of the great heroes of faith, we've talked about her periodically throughout uh, Revive. She said, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Because... Um, as John Mark Comer, the pastor who wrote this orange book that I'm gonna keep talking about. um, He says, both sin and busyness cut off our connection with God and ourselves and other people. And so isn't that fascinating to think about like, okay, if the devil can't quote unquote make you sin, he'll, he'll just make you busy so that you can cut off that sense of connection with self, with God, with other people. Um, Carl Jung, like the Carl Jung who, um, it, who like, he didn't come up with Myers-Briggs, but like developed Myers-Briggs, has made incredible contributions to our understanding of psychology, wrote this, hurry is not of the devil, hurry is the devil. And so uh, John Mark Comer, who's this pastor who wrote The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, writes about all of these things. And I know some of you have read this book um, and I, I highly recommend reading it and reading it again and putting it on the shelf and then t- taking it down three months later and reading it again. It's that kind of book. Um, he has put a lot of resources together about how to unhurry our lives and slow down a little bit. Um, and one of the things that he writes about is um, he interviewed a psychologist about hurry. And the psychologist said, the number one problem people face is time. People are too busy to build emotionally vibrant lives. It's the main reason that people don't um, uncover or recover from trauma. People don't grow because we're just, we cram our lives really, really full with all sorts of other things. So this is a bit of a trailer for this book, but I invite you to just check out um, the words from the pastor's mouth who wrote this book. Take a look. Dallas Willard once called hurry the great enemy of spiritual life in our day and said you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Five years ago, I was leading a megachurch and living in a city and working insane hours, in a hurry all of the time, addicted to my phone. I knew something was off in my soul. I just could not put my finger on what. When I first heard that line, it hit me, that's it. Hurry is the issue underneath so many of the other issues in my life. I mean, if you think about it, hurry is incompatible with the love, joy, and peace that are right at the center of Jesus' vision of life in the kingdom of God. Willard said that iconic line to a mentee of his, John Ortberg. And in response, John said, what else do I need to know? Willard thought about it for a moment, and then he said, there is nothing else. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. What would it look like for you to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life? Here's that short conversation. Both Dallas Willard and John Ortberg are like legends of author, like in terms of like Christian authorship, legends. We've got their books in Cafe Hope. So this fascinating conversation between these deeply faithful, deeply spiritual men John Ortberg had gone to Dallas Willard um, as kind of like a mentor conversation and asked, um, 
What is the number one enemy to the spiritual life? And that's when Dallas Willard said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Okay, what else? There is nothing else. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And I know you just heard it, but I wanted you to see it again, to just let it absorb and let it sink in. So I invite you to consider, what would that look like for you? If you needed to start eliminating, not just casually, <laughs> hurry from your life, what would that take? What would that look like? And I see a lot of like restlessness in the room, so I feel like that's striking a chord. Uh, so we're going to move on. <laughs> I'll just keep going. Um, when we think about this, I, uh, one of the things that I think is always important, it's not just important to look at what scripture says, but like what does Jesus have to say about this? And when we think about who Jesus is, Jesus didn't hurry. We don't have any scripture references to Jesus hurrying. We have a lot of people who hurried to Jesus and said, this person is sick in my life, please come help. But Jesus didn't run Sometimes he actually stopped for a couple more days before going and it really aggravated his friends that were like, no, Jesus, I need you over here now. So from the scripture reading that you heard earlier tonight, there's this story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, which is a somewhat familiar story. But what I wanted to do was, we're gonna look at that story, but I also wanna highlight for you how this story is bookended. This story is bookended with Jesus resting Jesus' pace of life. And I think it's fascinating and, and important to notice, it's not just the miracle that Jesus performs, feeding 5,000 people with a very small amount of food. This miracle is couched between, kind of in the connective tissue of scripture. Don't, you don't just look at the stories, you look at what connects them, what's the context, what's coming right before and right after. What's coming right before and right after is Jesus resting. And not just resting, but insisting upon rest. When Jesus got this news, and this was bad news, he got the news that his cousin, John the Baptist, um, had just been murdered, um, beheaded actually. When uh, Jesus got this news, he slipped away by boat to an out of the way place by himself, but unsuccessfully. Someone saw him and the word got around. Soon a lot of people from the nearby villages walked around the lake to where he was. When he saw them coming, he was filled with rage and ran away. <laughs> no, that was just me. Okay, just kidding. <laughs> when, when Jesus saw them coming, he was overcome with pity and he healed their sick. Toward evening, the disciples approached him. We're out in the country. It's getting late. Dismiss the people so they can go to the villages and get some supper. But Jesus said, there is no need to dismiss them. You give them supper. All we have are five loaves of bread and two fish, they said. <laughs> Jesus said, bring them here. And then the story continues. Jesus prays over them. He blessed the uh, five loaves of bread and two fish. And then he gave them to the disciples and they distributed them to the crowd. And 5,000 men and an additional number of women and children ate. And then they collected multiple baskets full of stuff that was left over. And then as soon as the meal was finished, Jesus insisted that the disciples get in the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the people. With the crowd dispersed, he climbed the mountain so he could be by himself and pray. He stayed there alone late into the night. 
some observations. Jesus had a regular rhythm of rest and solitude with God. These are by no means the only times in scripture that we see this. I picked this scripture passage because it was so closely bookended though with Jesus resting, doing something, Jesus resting, doing something, Jesus resting. Rest was a regular rhythm for Jesus. And when you're both fully human and fully God, you don't just like do things by accident. Like you do those things with intention. So this was a priority for Jesus, especially when Jesus was needed so much by people. Some of us, um, or maybe some of you feel like you're in professions or occupations or vocations where you just help people all the time. That's awesome, that's great, and that's wonderful. Even Jesus didn't say no to his own rest for the sake of helping other people all the time. There are a couple times in this um, where Jesus was like, oh, okay, rather than turning them away, like I will help. But there's, there's nuance to that, which we're gonna take a look at. So Jesus had this regular rhythm. Jesus was constantly interrupted. However, Jesus didn't melt, as so often I want to do. Uh, did you see the new emojis that uh, got released, like the 500 emojis or whatever? One of them is a face just melting into a puddle, and I resonate so deeply, <laughs> especially as I'm working full-time and in school full-time, and... Uh, I just, I really resonate with melt. It's not healthy for me. I recognize that. Uh, But Jesus didn't melt and actually turned towards people when interrupted. Why does Jesus do this? And I think sometimes more important for me, how was Jesus able to do this? Well, Jesus was in such a regular rhythm of rest that interruptions, he wasn't just so low at the bottom of his battery that that one interruption just sent him out into orbit. He was like, I can't do this. And just like flew away and left or whatever, you know? Like Jesus had, I don't know if Jesus could fly, but that's kind of an interesting concept for me to think about sometimes. Um, Anyway, anyway, I have so much I wanna say about this, but we'll just, okay. He could have like flown away or zoomed away or walked away or whatever, right? He could have done so many things. But when Jesus was interrupted, he didn't melt. He actually turned toward people. Toward people. And how? C.S. Lewis apparently said once upon a time that who you are when you're interrupted, how you respond when you're interrupted is who you really are. And I like felt that one. Jesus was so constantly resting, refueling, and refreshing that he never found himself with, at the bottom of a battery with just like on your phone or whatever when the battery turns red or whatever. So Jesus always had bandwidth for distractions and for interruptions. Jesus actually probably saw the distractions and the interruptions that came as his next thing to do. Like, yeah, I thought I was gonna do this, but I guess... This is the thing that God has for me. And maybe he had foreknowledge of that. I don't know. But Jesus turned towards people because of this constant, regular rhythm. I also think it's fascinating that the disciples wanted to get rid of the people. They were like, Jesus, it's getting late. Dismiss them. (laughs) Like, let's get rid of them. It's time for them to go. Jesus said, no, let's feed them. And then when they were like, well, we don't have any food, Jesus said, well, well, actually, before we get there, Jesus actually said, you feed them. Jesus delegated. <laughs> Some of us need to delegate as well. <laughs> the disciples wanted to get rid of the people. Jesus said, no, actually, we're gonna feed them, but I want you to try. 
I need you to figure out how we give from places where we already have rested. This is really an important lesson that Jesus wants his disciples to pick up. Here's something fascinating that I have learned in school, that anything you read in scripture is not just for the benefit of um, knowing what happened. It's not just a historical account. Everything that Jesus does in scripture is for the benefit of the disciples to learn about this way of Jesus, to be transformed by the presence of Jesus. Thereby then anything that is meant for the disciples is meant for you and me as disciples. So Jesus is telling us, this is what you do. You rest regularly. Then when interruptions come, you have the wherewithal to see them not necessarily as interruptions, but as the opportunity that is ahead of me, maybe to delegate, maybe to train somebody else in this way, but to turn towards people. And then the thing that I think is fascinating, Jesus, this word is used, I could go back, but I'm not going to, just said then that Jesus insisted on his solitude time. It's non-negotiable for Jesus. The other thing I think is fascinating is we don't know exactly how Jesus, how old Jesus was in this scenario, but it hit me. We know that Jesus' ministry was three years long between ages 30 and 33. I don't know how many of you are in that window of 30 to 33, but as young adults, as a ministry for young adults in their 20s and 30s, I know a lot of you are close at least to that window. Jesus is like our age in this scenario. Jesus is not considered then a young adult, but by today's like age standards, Jesus would be a young adult. Jesus is also a world changer. Jesus is leading a global movement. I don't know how many leaders of young adult leaders now of global movements now are like, I am low stress. I have time for you. I am not hurried. I am not worried. Interruptions come and I gladly turn towards them. Also, (laughs) Jesus is God. Jesus is God and God here is resting. God is prioritizing rest. Even God rested. Why do we think that we can't? Why do we think that somehow we are called to do all of the things when not even God, who is God, does all of the things? Jesus says, I love, um, for me, this is a very familiar passage, but I love it reading it in the message because it lights things up for me. Jesus says in Matthew 11, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That's so beautiful and I want, to sink it, I want it to sink in so much for you that I invite you to read this with me. I've rearranged it here. I want you to read the parts with me in yellow that are underlined. I'll read the whole thing and I just want you to jump in on the yellow underlined parts. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. 
I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Man, I don't know about you, but that sounds really good. So how do we do this? How do we learn to slow and rest? When I was writing this, I was like, this is a whole sermon series. This is a month long sermon series. There's so much here. I would love to do that sometime this year. So maybe we will, but for tonight, this is, this is what I've got for you tonight. The first thing I invite you to do is to just begin noticing how you live. Notice your pace and then consider how you can live more simply or slowly. Because once you start to pay attention, you'll see things that you haven't noticed before. And then I invite you to consider what emotions stir up in you when you think about living a little bit more slowly. Like if you have a longing, pay attention to that. If you get anxious, pay attention to that. Your emotional reaction to slowing and simplifying will tell you a lot about the like things that need some healing in your life that Jesus wants to enter into and bring some healing because those are the barriers keeping you from slowing and resting. And then I invite you to consider this. This is something that Pastor Richard here has taught me and so many around. This is, I think, one of the most invaluable lessons that I have ever learned in my entire life. How can you calendar your priorities? Not just say, oh, that's a priority for me. I'm gonna do it today sometime. Put it in your calendar. Hey, I, I wanna get together with you. I really love to. I don't, I don't just mean like, oh yeah, I just saw this person and let's get together sometime. Like I really mean let's get together. Put it on a calendar. How do we begin to calendar in and make time and block out time for the things that, that we really value? Come to the unhurried class, unhurried life class with me on Tuesdays. We're gonna talk about Sabbath. We're gonna talk about rhythm of life. These are the two practices for me that ground me and beyond anything else, not anything else, but by far are some of the most helpful practices I have ever attempted in my life. And I would love to share them with you. So if you feel like you resonate with any of this, I would love to have you come to the next two weeks. If you can't come to both classes, just come to one. When you register, just shoot me an email with your registration kickback email and say, I can only come to the second one or I can only come to the first one. They function as standalone, but also deeply complement one another. Um, so come to the class on Tuesdays. It's this coming Tuesday and then the next Tuesday after that. And then lastly, how do we slow our rest? Well, we take our cue from Jesus who insisted on getting away and not hurrying. So we, so we gotta figure out how we do that because our hurry is inhibiting our ability to love well. It's inhibiting our ability to love God. It's inhibiting our ability to love ourselves, and it's inhibiting our ability to love other people. Uh, a Japanese theologian, uh, Kasuke Koyama, wrote in this book, Three Mile an Hour God. Love has its speed. It's a spiritual speed. It's a different kind of speed from the technological speed to which we are accustomed. It goes on, in the depth of our life, whether we notice or not, at three miles an hour. It's the speed we walk, and therefore it's the speed of the love, it's the speed that the love of God walks. What a fascinating concept to think about the speed of love is the average pace that a human walks, because that's where connection lives. In this book, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, Pastor John Mark Comer uh, writes this, when we slow down, we become more loving because we're slowing down to let God love us and experience God's love for us. 
So as we close, I'm gonna pray in a moment and I invite you to just take a moment of just some space. Just take a moment to breathe. Take a moment to feel your body, check in with your body, what feels tight, what feels like it might need a little bit of attention, what feels like, I don't know, you can just notice it. Sometimes I stop and do this, I'm like, oh, my neck hurts. No wonder I've been crabby all day. And I haven't even noticed that my neck hurts and that's why I'm crabby because I've been so busy. (laughs) So I invite you to just take a moment, let's pray and just take some time to be. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the fact that you never hurried. You have never turned us away in your hurry. You've never ignored us because you were rushing around trying to fix all of the things. God, we thank you that your love sees us. Your love doesn't zoom past us. That the pace of your love is the pace of of just walking, of just being, of just living. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. We invite you to fill our our spaces and our lives and our lungs and our rooms and our bodies and our lungs. It's your breath that's in us. God, as we take time to just notice where we're at, we ask that you'd illuminate things to us. Show us what you want us to know. I invite you to just take a deep breath and imagine the love of God filling your lungs. the next breath you have, I invite you to take a really deep breath and imagine the peace of God filling your body. God, wherever it is that you're calling us to begin ruthlessly eliminating hurry from our lives, I ask that you'd make that clear to us this evening, tomorrow, this weekend, next week in all the spaces that we're in, whether it be our jobs, our relationship with our parents, relationship with young people, kids that might be in our lives, our bosses, the people on our teams, our friendships, our significant relationships. the places where we volunteer, the other communities that we're a part of as a part of our hobbies, the things that we say yes to, the things that we put on our calendar, the things that we write on our to-do list in our notebooks or our phones or wherever we keep track of those things, maybe just in our minds. God, help us to draw closer to you through this idea of eliminating hurry from our lives. Help us to draw closer to ourselves. Give us the courage to get uncomfortable with it. God, show us the pace that you live at in our lives. 
Help us to rest in you. Help us to pick up your unhurried rhythms of grace. And God, wherever we feel resistance to it, help us to turn towards that resistance just with some courage or with some gentleness or with some authenticity and ask you to get curious with us why we're resistant to it. God, we ask that you bring healing to those areas of our lives too. Help us to eradicate the fear from our lives that feeds the way that we hurry. And God, the things in our lives that we're doing that you have not called us to do, help us to notice those things and begin to gently set them aside. God, help us to clear space. Lead us deeper into love. I don't think it's any accident that you wrote in your word through the Apostle Paul in the chapter about love that the first thing is that love is patient. God, we also know that that is a fruit of your spirit in our lives. So we ask for your spirit to come and fill us so that so that we could know because we're more loving. We would know that you're present with us because we're more joyful. We would know that you're present with us because we're more patient. We would know that you're present with us because we are more gentle and kind and have self-control and are faithful to the things we've said yes to because we know that you want us to say yes to them. God, help us to be so unhurried as people of you that it changes the communities that we're in. Help us to love people so well because of our patience and our unhurried life that it leads people to you. God, we ask for the grace that we need to do this. We ask all these things in Jesus' holy name and all God's people said, amen. Let's stand and worship together. Thanks for listening, everyone. Revive West Des Moines happens every Thursday night at Hope in West Des Moines, and we'd love to connect with you on social media. So find us and let us know where you're listening from. And whenever you're in town, we would love to have you come to Revive and join us live. Peace out, Scouts.